Okay, uh, we're really, um, really happy. Uh, I think it's really great that Andrew, uh, Reverend Andrew Brunson was released from jail in Turkey, and I know he's associated with y'all's denomination. And um, it's really great that um, I'm sure people have been praying for him and um, that, um, uh, that Reverend Bill Devlin, who is a pastor from the Bronx, has been with... Uh, uh, Reverend, was with Reverend Brunson in Turkey and attended every one of his hearings that he had in Turkey as a way of supporting him and a rounding up prayer. So we really have that sort of New York connection that uh, the, uh, the, one of the key people for keeping that story front and center uh, from the Turkey side was uh, Reverend Devlin. Um, and it's also... Um, I'm pretty interested in Turkey. I did a cover story for Christianity Today on the church in Turkey, and I'd interviewed Reverend Brunson. So uh, this is um, a pretty good day for, for me feeling that, uh, of that accomplishment. Uh, I'm going to, we've been um, uh, going uh, throughout the city. We've visited thousands of religious sites, and, and I'm going to, uh, first play you a video because we just go and we happen on to these sites as we go. And uh, religion is uh, particularly uh, Christian faith, but other religion too, is very thick in New York City. It's thicker in New York City. There's more activity going on than in the last hundred years. This is a key moment in New York City history. And um, I'm going to first play you something that uh, it's actually further down in my talk, but I thought we better play it first. Uh, we were going in the Bronx, and we came across this um, Methodist church. Uh, it's an evangelical Methodist church, that, uh, uh, and we just walked in. That's what we do. We just walk in, and we found that it was a remarkable place because they, they had adopted all the, hymn, the hymns to play with tin drums, steel pan. And so uh, this is a video we made out of that. <laughs> steel pan music enlivens a Sunday morning at the Westchester United Methodist Church in the Bronx. Comprised of youth aged 16 to 20, the Shining Star Steel Pan Orchestra is a happy mediator in the multi-generational church. Steel pan drumming originates from Trinidad Carnival celebrations. Once, it would have had no place in the church. But Roy Gomes, the band director, says that the discipline of learning the drums kept him out of trouble while growing up in Antigua. The WUMC, which hosts many congregants from various Caribbean countries, wondered if the drums could do the same for their children, while at the same time bridging the gap between immigrant parents and the New York City teens. Sixteen-year-old Casey, who plays the bass drum, says that the second-generation players are so good, some audience members believe they came from Trinidad themselves. The Shining Stars have performed on Martha's Vineyard and in competitions in Antigua, primarily played our hymns, such as this rendition of I Surrender All, arranged by Gomes. 
WUMC minister, Reverend Gordon Edwards, is grateful that the Shining Stars make themselves accessible to the service of God. Steel Pan connects not just the members of the church, but all who hear the happy music. Okay. That's, we're going to go back now to the beginning because... Um, um, but um, I want to thank uh, uh, Reverend Harris uh, uh, for um, uh, hosting me here today and uh, Aaron Wren, uh, who was, uh, spoke here uh, earlier uh, to Vocari, suggested put us together to do this. And I want to thank uh, you at Central Presbyterian Church for uh, uh, coming and uh, uh, being really gracious to have me here today. Um, the one thing is we don't rep the journey doesn't represent any particular uh, uh, religion or politics. We're non-sectarian, non-partisan, because we're trying to create a, a public square for people of faith and non-faith, so they can come and look for themselves and um, uh, and see what's happening in their city. Um, this is my contact information if you need it. Let's go to the next. And this is some of our team. Um, you may have noticed that um, the Metropolitan Museum had the um, Heavenly Bodies exhibit as part of the Costume Institute showing the impact of Christian faith on fashion. Now, could you ever believe this would happen? And this is the largest, by visitors, the largest number of visitors that for any show in the Metropolitan Museum history. And it shows you that New York has changed Number one, they're doing a, 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 a costume institute, which I used to work for, a costume institute uh, exhibit on uh, faith and fashion. It's a Catholic faith they focused on because some of the resigners uh, uh, really uh, try to express aspects of their backgrounds uh, or their faith into design. And people responding to that. How did we get there? How did we get so that the hottest ticket in town is about faith and fashion? How did we get there? That's what I want to talk a little bit about today, how we got there and where we're at now. So uh, this is a photo from, uh, okay. Well, if we just go back, not that far, but back to the 70s. New York was a, a secular hell. Churches and synagogues and other faith groups were abandoning the city or being burned down. This is the South Bronx in the 70s. And as far as you could see, I, I did an internship in the South Bronx with a police department. And as far as you could see, you could walk 20 blocks. And this is what it was like. And the kids would grow up there and there were gangs and um, a criminal activity on every block, every abandoned building, which that's an abandoned building. This is right off the Cross Bronx Express. Uh, this actually, yeah, this is right off the Cross Bronx Expressway. But it goes all the way up to uh, Charlotte area. And the Bronx and Harlem and parts of Brooklyn lost 40 plus percent of their housing. It burned down. And it was such a, New York didn't know whether it would survive. This police handed out this flyer at the airport to warn people, welcome to Fear City. 
1981 was the most violent year. This is from uh, 77. Um, 2,166 murders. Um, it was, they didn't know whether the city actually could survive. And churches didn't know whether they could survive. Let's go to the next one. The pivotal year was 1978 for his faith in the city goes. Up to that point, the amount of church planting that went on was less than replacement value. That is, there were more churches being closed than there were being opened. But something happened in 78 that the city started to change. They, there were a lot of factors in that. But many New Yorkers, for one, decided that you know, they were going to fight for their city. And, but they faced this tremendous dilemma. And we will see uh, one of them here is uh, Marcos Rivera, who's a pastor, still a pastor, and now uh, a senior, almost emeritus pastor at uh, La Iglesia uh, Cristiana Primavera on East Broadway and uh, down the Lower East Side. He was working for IBM when he got word in 1978 that his church had burned down a church that he grew up in. And he walked back to the church, because you can walk from Wall Street to the church. He walked back to the church. He comes down East Broadway as a housing project across the street. He walks, the, the glass on the sidewalk crunches on his feet. He stands before its very smoky feeling, the smell. And he says, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? Is this it? Is this the end of this church? It was a poor church. It was not a rich church. And as he stood there, he had a very, very uh, significant job at IBM. But as he stood there, he just felt this overwhelming presence of God on him that said, I have to do something. So he started ordering his affairs at IBM and eventually left IBM to become uh, a pastor, the pastor eventually at La Iglesia and they rebuilt that church and it stands today and all across the city, particularly in the boroughs that is outside of Manhattan people were saying, what are we going to do? You could stand in Bushwick and see all the way to the river because every building was burned down from Bushwick through Williamsburg to the river. You can see all the way. There's one priest I interviewed, and he says, I would stand outside my church, and I could see the river from the front of my porch. And when the riots came in uh, all across the city with the great blackout in 19, summer of 1977, he stood there in front of the church because so much of Bushwick was being dismantled. And he was trying to protect the Catholic church there. They... The city, but people started to say, Christians all over the city started to say, we're going to stand. And you get, nobody really noticed. They, this was happening all across the city, but it was not known that this, this, well, we have to call it a revival because in 1978, the amount of church planning that went on doubled really significantly 
the statistics really jump up, doubled. And that meant it was a, now was adding churches in the city. And it kept going up and up until by 2000, there were, every year, there was 2% of the churches in the city were new churches, which is about 150, 200 churches. And, but people didn't see this. We didn't actually know it. And the media didn't particularly report it. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, down on the, the bottom, where the kids had to grow up and walk in this rubble and somehow have a life and not be brought in the, the gangs, some of them became graffiti artists. Graffiti art was bad and good. Now, one glorified Satan, another glorified Jesus. And what we don't see and what wasn't seen at the time and still not seen is that a lot of the graffiti artists, there was a constant stream of graffiti artists that were faith-based. And you became a graffiti artist if you didn't want to be forced to join a gang because this was the deal. We will do RIPs. When you guys die, we'll put an RIP, a rest in peace mural on the wall and you'll protect us and leave us alone. We don't have to join the gang. Now, it made, the graffiti made havoc in the city in, in many ways. But at the same time in that havoc, Jesus was there. This is the very first graffiti artist in New York City, Taki 183 from Washington Heights. Notice who somebody put right at, this is very soon after Taki did this. Notice, worship God. The faith-based kids were there from the beginning. And graffiti art, which is so hot, has always had a religious edge. Some of the greatest graffiti artists in the world that came from New York City are faith-based. And yet, almost none of this was noticed. Okay, let's go to the next one. All this was percolating through, but was unnoticed. By, by 2000, there were 197 evangelical churches in uh, Manhattan Center City. That's below 96th Street on the east side and below 125th on the west side. In the 1970s, for professionals, if you wanted to go to the church, there was probably six or seven churches. Six or seven churches. There was also ethnic churches in Chinatown. There was also Hispanic and African-American churches here and there in Manhattan Center City. But for as professionals going to church uh, in Manhattan, there's probably only six or seven in, below in that part of only six or seven. And maybe 40 churches, 30 churches in all. Um, uh, like uh, La Iglesia Primitiva uh, uh, Cristiana was, um, you know, there. And it was a, Hisp it was a Spanish congregation. Um, but since then, we've had this explosion. So that 40% of these churches came after 2000. 40%. That's almost, let's see the next slide. And then five years later, in 2014, that was done in 2009, you have 251 evangelical churches. Think about that. In 14 years, or five years time, you added 44 churches. And yet, that's still, oh, that happened all over the city. Churches were added at a red-hot pace. A red-hot pace. It started in the boroughs. And then came to New York, uh, to Manhattan in the 1990s. 
So 97, 1978 to 90s, uh, 1990 was the borough boom of church planting. Unknown, almost everybody. And then from 1990 up to today, we've had a boom of Manhattan church planting. But there's still so much work to be done. There's still, like in Manhattan, the number of churches per population is very low if you compare it to national average or even to the city area. Let's go to the next. But because of all the religious activity going on, New York's no longer Sodom and Gomorrah. We know it's not Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, Ed, Ed, Ed Koch became mayor in 1977, and he was an important part of the political aspect of this. People saw that, but they didn't see the faith-based change going on. Um, you have uh, the immigrants that came in in the 1970s, uh, like uh, Korean Americans that added hundreds of churches to the city. You had uh, his, all types of immigrants uh, coming in. That was part of it. You have about 250,000, 280,000 uh, migrants from other parts of the United States. Uh, it became much more comfortable to come here into uh, uh, New York, and so you get a stream every year, about 250 to 280,000 people coming to work in the finance industry, the arts, the publishing, and that type of thing. Um, and you get, um, uh, you get growth in all types of religious groups, not only evangelical groups. So you can't really say New York's the secular city anymore. It's a post-secular city. It's not religious, but it's not the secular city anymore as a book in 1963. Uh, said the secular city by Harvey Cox. Let's go to the next slide. So we felt, I felt, that there was a need to change our institutions, reflect to be post-secular, that they were in a different stage now. We're not in the secular city. We're not in the religious. We're in the post-secular. So the, the, the non-religious and the various religions have to figure out a way to work with each other, to t allow space on the public square for each other, there was very little space in our news media for, uh, the, particularly for the conservative religions. Very, very little. And when they did have place in their news well, sometimes they did very good stories, but the news well was so small it would be only a story once in a while. And so, um, and hiring was also affected that, that, that way. The, by and large, the news media, uh, other news media, missed the story. The, one of the three biggest stories in New York City. They missed it. That is this religious change. Now, they're catching up on that. And the Times has an article uh, that's come out, uh, if you'll look at uh, about a young woman in uh, uh, Flushing who committed suicide because she was in the sex trafficking and felt she had come to the end of her road. But um, in, in that article, um, it, it, toward the end, you'll notice that... Uh, um, this uh, Restore New York is mentioned, uh, which is a Christian ministry that's anti-sex trafficking. They help with the story. And also uh, the fact that the, one, the mother who came back after a daughter committed suicide became a, a Christian herself. So there's, it's percolated in that they now put that in, even though it's toward the bottom. And it was a, probably appropriate in this case because the, the girl herself was not. She was working with Restore, but it, you know she didn't make it. And... You know, I don't, we don't know what her faith was at, at that point. But, um, but media is being disrupted in New York, partly by distrust, because religious people didn't trust the, the media to cover them fairly or to cover them fully. Um, the, and it was I don't think it's so much politics. It was just that 
the model of the media was very uh, sort of distant from their audience. Technological innovation was disrupting the media, and, so, and, um, <clears throat> and secularism, I think, caused uh, some of the distrust. So we thought there was a, a new audiences that needed to be uh, serviced. Let's go to the next. Okay, we're running out of time. This is what we look like a couple, uh, this is sort of old, a couple of years, 2016. We're, okay, let's go next. We go through every street and we, we, we mark down our maps as we go. And we stop at every religious site. We've stopped at over 8,000 sites in the city. Let's go to the next. Uh, you've seen this. Let's skip this. This is one we just walked into. Next. <clears throat> what we need right now is a post-secular agenda for the city. Not agenda set by other people. We need to say what our voice is. For example, uh, you know, they're th talking about uh, redoing Penn uh, Station. But what is our voice in that? Well, one of the voices we have is there's a huge lack of community and uh, a meeting space so that churches or church groups or other religious groups uh, have a place to meet. That's a, there's a desperate lack of neighborhood community meeting spaces. Well, you could ask for that in Penn Station. That would be our voice. It's not the whole voice. There's lots of things going on. Um, also, the controversy about what monuments should be in the city. We should say, well, what kind of great Christian figures are there that really should be there? Not because they're Christian. That's the wrong uh, way to go into a park. But it's because they were so significant in the city, like Jacob Rees, the famous uh, uh, journalist, who was an evangelical Christian. And there are other um, uh, Jewish leaders. Uh, the, the guy who started the Jewish Forward, uh, we definitely should have a statue to him. That's a significant, was a hugely significant newspaper. And we need a new generation, a next generation of church planning. We've had a big wave of church planning, but now we're, we're in a different situation. And we're in a post-secrecy, partly done because there's so much church planning. So what does it mean now that New Yorkers are on a journey, both I'm, I'm very much more optimistic that you'll see a lot of negative reports that the nuns are high and people are leaving the church and stuff. That's actually not happening in New York as much as the South. The South has many more nuns than New York City. Because you know why? New York is two-thirds immigrant, just about. And immigrant kids and grandkids have very, don't leave the church. Now, there is some leaving. But they, we know from uh, various surveys that they, they don't leave as much. And, and the evangelical ones particularly don't leave as much. Now, there's so many exceptions. We all know some exceptions. And some churches really do have to worry about that. But really, all of New Yorkers, seculars, um, the non-religious and so forth, are on a journey. And we need to be good guides for them. It's different from, not evangelists. We evangelize them by being good guides saying, look, these are the questions you should ask. This is where you should look. You know, this is how you can see what's going on around you, and that's what we're trying to do. Next. Uh, Jews are growing. Conservative Jews are growing. The Orthodox will be the majority of Jews if they're not already. And by the way, the East Side is the biggest group on the East Side are Jewish. The young Jews, the nuns, and even some of the Orthodox are really open to looking at, at Jesus. So, you know, you should 
think about, think about that. The Orthodox are uh, 40% in 2010, but that I assume they're... I've, I've given a similar talk to Jewish organizations, and this is a sort of a hard lump to take if you're reform or conservative, which are some of the more liberal uh, denominations. But the Orthodox are predominant, and they actually want to reach out to evangelicals for changing the city. Let's go to the next. The 285 mosques and increasing. This was a couple of years ago. We have the best reporting on Muslims in the city of anybody, anybody. In fact, the Muslim training programs all use our material. They just issued a big report on Muslims in New York City in, in August. They issued it. And uh, all of their data comes from us. I won't say all, but almost all the basic data, the core data. And the reason is, is that we, we show, give them face and their voice. We believe they should have a voice on the public square. They're here. We have more mosques in this city than any other place in the United States. And they're increasing rapidly. Now, we, of course, on the public square, you're competitors, but you can also be allies. They're natural allies, actually, in the city. And they, they want that. It's, a, it's hard to negotiate. There's different levels, right? But that we should keep that in mind. The, the other fast-growing area for mosques is Texas. <laughs> Let's go. So there's also post-sector compassion revolution because as we had more religious groups, they're investing more. Let's go to the next one. They're investing more in helping people. Um, this uh, Norberto Carrero in the Bronx at Torrente de Cedron uh, was an enforcer for the uh, motorcycle gang, the Chingalings. That means he was the muscle. And he fell on, he, he was, it was a bloody, nasty job, and he fell to his face in a basement and became a believer and he brought most of his gang with him. This happens all over the city and that means just the savings on jail time is the hundreds of millions a year. Hundreds of millions a year. Next. We've had calculated by uh, uh, assessing a sample of church uh, contributions that every year evangelical churches give 1.47 to 1.6 billion dollars a year of social services. It's more social services than the Department of Social Services gives of the city. The biggest, and yet, do you see that as a, a common debate of how we're helping the poor? That, oh, we'll talk to the social services people, which is fine. We want that. But they also need to talk about to the faith-based people. Because the faith-based people are actually providing more social services than the, the, the city uh, department itself. And it's a huge amount. And, um, and, and it just doesn't count a lot of intangibles, like people not going to prison, stuff like that. Let's go. Uh, so we also have a post-sector politics. That the reason we have Mayor de Blasio is because of the evangelicals. Did you know that? Let's go to the next slide, and I better probably round it up. Well, we've got a lot of evangelical activity in politics. We've got uh, a guy that used to go here. <laughs> uh, maybe he still does, Eric Metaxas. But we also, what people don't realize that 31% of the Democratic primary, which uh, Blasio won, was uh, Protestant, and almost all of those were Evangelicals and Pentecostals, almost all. And that was his win. And the reason is he identified with Evangelicals and Pentecostals. He marched with them to preserve meeting space in public schools on Sundays if they needed it. And they stuck with him, and they voted with him. And he was the why he won. The primary. 
So if you want to say, well, what's the impact of faith in this city? It's Bill de Blasio. And he's rewarded them too. He said, as long as I'm mayor, you can meet in the public schools, any faith-based group, just like anybody else. And second, he created pre-K, which million, tens of millions of dollars go to faith-based groups and to a lot of churches. See? He has been active on the faith-based side. He all created an office uh, in his office of the mayor on, for faith-based and neighborhood partnerships. And we just last week, we had a meet, uh, this next week, this week, we have a meeting the city is holding with the Salvation Army, is holding an emergency training, what to do if there's a catastrophe in New York City. And they've invited all the faith-based groups to come to that. The city and the Salvation Army are co-sponsors of this. So you see, the politics of Christians and other groups has been very significant, but sometimes we don't see that. The, the evangelicals and Pentecostals in this group are in motion. They're not necessarily committed to de Blasio or to the Democrat Party. or they're, they're looking for saying, who will represent our interests? We have to know what our interests are, what do we really need, and then to ask the politicians to do that. We have to, have to be more innovative in our agenda than just saying, oh, well, we're going to take up this five things because that's what the national parties are debating about. No, we've got to have our own voice. What's our own voice in this city? Okay, thanks. Well, I don't have time to talk about this. Let's go. Uh, that we do also history. At every place we go, we do a history. And uh, let's go to the next. Including a Central Park. How many people know that Central Park was designed according to Christian principles? It's based on Christian theology by Horace Bushnell. Uh, Olmsted, Frederick Olmsted, had two conversion experiences. He grew up, one in high school, one at Yale. His theologian and his, his best friend was a pastor, a theologian of the family, was a, a, a guy named Horace Bushnell who talked about Christian nurture. And what he said is you want to design your, 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 your setting so that the unconscious influence of God comes in. Now, in fact, sometimes it's designed so unconsciously that it doesn't have an impact. But that was the problem with Bushnell. But uh, Central Park was designed, he said, to be a specimen of God's handiwork, and people could feel that. They could get that. The same year he was designing Central Park, he was had a, a, a controversy with a skeptic and said, you need to accept Jesus. How many people know that about Central Park? It's not written that way in any of our history books, but it's quite clear when you read his own correspondence, his own diary, and stuff like that. The Central Park is the largest Christian art piece in the United States. Okay, next. And by the way, he put the Bethesda, you notice Bethesda Fountain? Can we go back? Which comes from John uh, 5.24, which is where Jesus goes, and Bethesda Fountain is where it was said the angel would come down and heal people. He put this, he called this is the spiritual heart of Central Park. There's an angel where, that looked over Jesus. It's the spiritual heart of Central Park. It's there for a reason. And that's also why the graffiti artists in the 70s, they would gather around here and they, they painted the wings of the angel because they needed protection. That was unconscious influence, actually. Not with much content, but it was a conscious influence. Well, we don't have any more time to talk, but I um, really thank you. I'll take some questions or comments.